Welcome to the Sustainable Century by Designer Disaster, where we take an honest look at emerging trends in sustainable economic development and why some companies will thrive and others won't, both now and in the decades to come. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Glad you could join us to share and debate ideas and experiences about how consumers, stakeholders, companies, and governments are helping, or maybe not, to create a more sustainable world. Before we get to our theme today, I'd like to remind you, you can visit us at the sustainablecentury.net or write us at info at sustainablecentury.net. Send us a question, themes to think about, or interesting people you'd like to hear from. Today we're speaking with Coro Strandberg again. Coro is a leading corporate sustainability consultant and advocate in Canada. She is also a former board member for Van City Savings Credit Union. Welcome back. Uh, Coro, we ended off last time talking about transformational companies. And, and I know for you, this is not just a theory. Can you tell us the story, if you will, in short, um, your experience as a, a corporate director at Van City and as the chair in that company's uh, moving towards being a transformational company? Because we know Van City has a wonderful reputation uh, and it, it, it's, it bears checking out if you're interested in seeing how a, a finance company can do some pretty good things in, in their markets. How did that happen? Because it strikes me that obviously the governance is very important in moving from a standard company to a transformational company. Well, in a couple, there were, yeah, so I was on the board of Van City from about 86, 87 before it had a social purpose mandate and was on the board for uh, 12 years. I retired um, because uh, one can't serve more than 12 years at Ben City, so I retired in uh, 2000. But as, as a board director, um, very interested in these issues, and as you know, Mark, I specialized in community economic development back in the day, which is how I got on the board of Ben City and was trying to bring Ben City into a CED sort of environment back then. Um, but some of the, maybe there were two or three sort of critical steps from the board of directors' point of view. Uh, one, is uh, within a couple of years of thinking about our role in corporate social responsibility, we started to put it into the corporate strategy. And that came about in about 1992, where we created actual metrics in the corporate strategy, the one that the board had oversight of. And so then the board was in a position to be able to monitor progress on the strategy. That was the first thing we did on, on along the way. And the second thing we did along the way, um, after a few years of struggling with uh, disconnect with management where they were continued to focus on sort of the financial bottom line and the board was trying to get the managers to be concerned with the social and the environmental bottom line, we then realized we needed to put it into the CEO's uh, performance plan and the CEO's bonus incentive scheme. So we did that about 1995 and that was a a watershed moment really for the organization (laughs) because then we had alignment uh, with the, uh, the the business metrics and then the, bo- the CEO's bonus. That was really quite profound. And then the third profound uh, step on our path was, um, you know, to use the vernacular, uh, CSR reporting. And we uh, published the first uh, third-party uh, verified CSR report in Canada in about 2000. 
And that's when we had the metrics right across our operations in terms of our CSR impact and investment. And I will tell you then, and uh, this was the time at which my retirement with, at Van City was <laughs> but that's when we realized that only about, you know, less than 1% of our assets were actually in social purpose, albeit we were, we thought we were this great social purpose company. And so anyways, that was in 2000 and here we are in 2015. And what has transpired since then is with the realization that so few of Ancity's assets were actually driving this social benefit, this social purpose value creation I was talking about earlier, of Ancity um, uh, repurposed itself as more intentionally the social purpose company, uh, and has uh, developed metrics now around shifting more and more of its assets and more of its investments into creating social value. And has since then come up with, as I call it, this theory of social value creation, uh, which I just want to say a little bit about it. I'm just running it off the top of my head. Social value creation whereby uh, customers, uh, members of Van City, by uh, doing business with Van City that enhances the profitability of Van City with increased profits. Van City can allocate more investments with more um, with more deposits. It can make more investments, do more loans with social purpose organizations, and um, also can uh, attract more social purpose business to the organization. It could help social purpose businesses grow, which it's doing. And then by the growth of those social purpose businesses, Van City thereby grows and can attract more members and on and on. Anyways, that's just one way of which they describe their theory of social value creation. And uh, But back to the governance story, um, <clears throat> what has transpired since then, and these are other tools of boards, um, <clears throat> Van City includes us, uh, uh, CSR to use that term in uh, CEO succession planning in um, in the top metrics that the organization uh, monitors and also in um, onboarding of staff and the organization has um, a board approved uh, social purpose mission and a set of guiding principles which it uses to foster continuous uh, social performance and improvement throughout the organization. And for any of your members who are interested, my uh, work in um, advising boards on uh, CSR and social purpose and sustainability governance is available as a checklist for what I think of as um, hygiene, uh, <laughs> uh, sort of good uh, CSR practices for the board. And, and what I've also seen is uh, CSR governance and sustainability governance has has itself evolved. Initially, uh, it was just um, a practice of facility managers or maybe the HR department or the philanthropy department. And as the business case for CSR has grown over the years, uh, it then moved up into uh, the C-suite so that CSR became a domain of uh, this, uh, the chief uh, financial officer, the chief procurement officer, the chief uh, people officer, the CEO. And now as with the continuous uh, awareness of the business case and the risks of not managing CSR effectively and the opportunities of CSR, it's now moved into boardrooms. And only these days, the last few years, are boards really starting to uh, look at what is their oversight role 
of the CSR impacts and opportunities of the firm. So that's uh, frontier practice as well. Well, it's been pretty interesting watching Van City as a leader in CSR or sustainability. And a lot of the issues that you touch on uh, with Van City, you know, you can see the impacts in the local area. You said recently uh, one in three Canadians uh, report that they have mental health or substance abuse problems and an estimated 150 to 300,000 are homeless across the country. And that costs Canadians $1.4 billion each year in health care, justice and social services. Now, I could see some angles in which Van City might see it in their interest to make better uh, some of these numbers. But really, how is this a corporate concern? And uh, you as a business owner, small or large, I mean, really, what should you make of this? Isn't this kind of like a government uh, responsibility? Uh, well, you mentioned earlier, and I think you're citing this uh, a guide I, I wrote again. Yep, absolutely. The, Plug away. Of, yeah, on the um, on the social value business creation, the how-to guide for business. And what I'm doing in that guide, just to sort of um, create a context here, is I'm opening up the conversation around what's the social role of the firm. There are many guides out there and how-to um, uh, uh, papers on how a company can improve its environmental performance, but really a lack of information and guidance for how organizations can improve their social performance. So you're citing some Canadian statistics around the social um, social challenges that this uh, country faces, the homelessness and mental health issues and uh, obesity and income inequality and continued child poverty and in these concerns. And uh, so uh, we raise the question in the guide, what is the social performance opportunity for the company? And so then you, you, you challenge me and you say, well, aren't these government uh, responsibilities? Um, and, and what the guide suggests is that if, if companies can play a stronger social role, then the role of government can be partners with companies and also can focus uh, scarce public dollars in those areas where, where companies cannot actually uh, make a difference. So I want to speak to the space of what is it that companies can do. I've got another uh, sort of tool I call um, CSR as a poverty reduction strategy. So I've, I've created a checklist of about 30 or 40 different ways that a company could improve um, uh, local wages, um, can improve hiring of disadvantaged and hard to employ people, can use their sourcing to source from social enterprises or local businesses that create local jobs, or could have uh, improved their mental health uh, workplace practices to reduce uh, uh, stress uh, at the workplace and, and, and therefore a stress that families uh, experience as well. So the, the company business model is a, is a perfect uh, canvas uh, to prioritize some social issues that resonate with your customers, that resonate with your employees, that resonate, resonate with local communities, that resonate, resonate also with your buyers because increasingly um, uh, uh, companies are looking and local governments and institutional purposes are looking to source from other companies that have social practices. So uh, there are many sort of business opportunities to, for companies to prioritize certain social concerns that they want to then start to leverage and harness throughout the, their uh, business value chain. So um, there's a business case for companies to move in this area. 
there's a lack of uh, ideas. Uh, now more and more resources are starting to come available to help companies improve their social impacts and to harness their products for social good. And so we're starting to see more and more companies move in this direction. Well, Court, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years or more, uh, as have you. And, and we've seen the evolution of both the language and practice. I, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic on our understanding and on the business cases that we can present, but I'm less optimistic on the uptake at this point. And, and I, I don't know what you would make of that, because I know that we bang our heads constantly uh, trying to make what we think are fairly logical leaps from you know, what we see as social purpose opportunity in the marketplace and influence and leverage both at management, as you noted, and in governance. Um, how are you feeling generally about that? Well, uh, notably... And again, this is a Canadian uh, yeah. uh, anecdote, but um, just notably, notably in my own practice, I'm now I've been recruited to uh, train d- corporate directors for Directors College, and uh, it, which is um, uh, an organization that trains directors in good governance practices, and you could then become a chartered director or certified as having. Um, uh, uh, pass the course and that improves your own competencies as a director so now um, director training includes CSR I'm also starting to train uh, corporate secretaries for the corporate secretary society of Canada and corporate secretaries are those people who um, support boards in good corporate governance practices so that's new territory the UN global compact is also now starting to train uh corporate directors. So we are starting to very much see these issues move into the corporate boardroom as well. The likes of the World Economic Forum, which is that group that meets in Davos, those um, business leaders and others that meet on an annual basis to track and identify um, top issues that companies and governments should be concerned about. They're starting to track um, top global uh, risks uh, such as income inequality, uh, climate change, um, water scarcity, food scarcity. So among the top five or eight uh, risks that they're flagging are these social and environmental concerns. And these are making their way into uh, company boardrooms, into company risk registers. So uh, I see relentless and continuous uh, move in this direction. Now, of course, the other question is it is it fast enough? Yeah. Is, is this going to be fast enough? So my concern isn't so much is it happening. It is, and it, it's relentless. Uh, equally, and I also pay attention to what industry associations are doing and sector associations and professional associations. So more and more professional associations and sector associations are starting to educate professionals on these kinds of issues and what is the role of the professional. Here I'm thinking of... Um, procurement officers, I'm thinking of engineers, I'm thinking of accountants, I'm thinking of uh, financial uh, officers, like, again, relentless uh, quest to help these professionals uh, learn what is their mandate. Uh, Industry associations are developing um, sustainability programs to help their members move forward uh, in in continuous uh, sustainability improvement. Again, it's a slow pace, but it's relentless, it's growing. 
uh, you know, chambers of commerce are starting to set up these programs early days. So, so it's happening. I'm convinced it will continue to happen. Uh, and, and I guess two things I'm concerned about. One is whether it happens sufficiently to avoid some of these uh, catastrophes, which we know are on their way if, if we don't start to manage with sustainability in mind. So some companies will find themselves in crisis if they don't move soon enough. Some companies will find themselves out of business because these social enterprises and others are disrupting the business model. So companies that don't start to invest in, in this innovation will fall behind and will fail. Um, and then again, um, societally, if we don't tackle these issues holistically, working across value chains and with sectors as well, uh, in partnership with governments and NGOs, if we don't do it at a, at a, at a pace enough to avert some of these uh, global issues, uh, then, you know, then I do have some concerns. So my, um, you know, here we are looking <laughs> into 2015, my desire is to see how can we do this at, at a scale? How can we aggregate this? And this is, you know, back to the 4.0 company. Uh, the 4.0 company looks to do this at scale and incrementalism is no longer good enough. Uh, if we continue at the pace of incrementalism, we won't be able to uh, realize the sustainable society by 2050 with 9 billion people on a planet. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, so I, these are our challenges. I, I, you wrote about everydayism to transformational social sustainability, uh, a popular uh, article that you wrote on LinkedIn. Um, quickly, what does that mean? Back to the idea of the transformational company, uh, this idea from 1.0 to, to 4.0 and how can we shift companies from 1.0 so that they can become more 4.0. What uh, I am starting to say in my practice, and I, this is sort of a kind of a new stance that I'm taking, but I am realizing that corporate social responsibility, as it has been practiced to date, while good, does not go far enough. And what it has, uh, while with companies more and more moving to manage their social and environmental performance effectively, we are only getting incremental progress. And if you again, if you look to um, nine billion people on a planet by 2050, when we're already activating at the levels of one and a half planet, and we're not seeing the kinds of improvements in terms of um, uh, sustainable lifestyles and social security around the world, how are we ever going to get there by, by 2050? So incrementalism is what I think of as everydayism. And how can we go beyond everydayism in social and environmental practices to become transformational where we are, where companies are using their assets, their business models, their products and their services and their value chains and um, public policy engagement and collaborations and, and, and working with uh, even competitors and uh, with their suppliers and, and others to uh, move, profoundly move uh, towards a more sustainable outcome. So that is a transformational and way beyond the kind of incrementalism which we see largely. Absolutely. And that's a wonderful uh, way of of wrapping pretty much everything we've been talking about uh, together. Um, one, I'd like to ask you, uh, in, by way of closing, is there a favorite group you like to point to or you like to th work with that you think is doing some really highly relevant work? 
in corporate sustainability? Well, I often find myself being um, inspired and excited by the work of Forum for the Future in the UK. And I think they have now some American operations as well. Forum for the Future. So they're a think and do tank. They're a thought leadership uh, consultancy. And their work has been uh, focusing also on how to accelerate and scale sustainability. And what they are um, working on in maybe two areas particularly that, that inspire me. One is to work at the sector level. So they are bringing the whole supply chain into the room and through collaborations, long-term, you know, three, five years, uh, helping um, a sector uh, come up with a vision of sustainability and then supporting that sector to move forward as the whole system. And so just to use an example, um, sustainable shipping initiative is something that they've been working on for a number of years. And so uh, they brought together shipping companies and um, suppliers and, 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 and shippers and those who charter ships and uh, those who insure ships and those who finance uh, shipping companies and on and on, governments, etc. And they brought them all together to come up with a, a, a vision of sustainable shipping and then prioritize three or five areas to work together over time. And anyways, Forum for the Future has um, been working in, in, in these ways and is an inspiration for the kind of work that I pursue here in Canada. Well, that is fantastic. Um some words that you have used that have struck me, I think, uh, reflect on you, your work, and your personality. Relentless, accelerated, working to scale, and transformational. Uh, as always, Coro, you are uh, an inspiration to myself and hopefully a lot of other people. Thanks for taking the time to come in and, and talk with me today. Oh, great. It's been a pleasure and hopefully... Um Uh, you and others can be inspired by some of this and equally any of you and your audience could reach out to me uh, if you want to pursue anything further. Great. Thanks a lot, Carl. Thanks for listening to the Sustainable Century podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If if you like what you've heard, you can always go to sustainablecentury.net, check out our blog, see the full list of Sustainable Century podcasts, Or if you'd rather listen to the blog, you can download a six-pack of Sustainable Century Spoken Blogs where yours truly reads six posts. Remember to press like in all the appropriate places. Leave a comment, stir up a fuss, spread the word, tweet your thoughts about corporate sustainability out to the world. Again, you can find all this at www.sustainablecentury.net or via www.esglobal.com. That's the International Corporate Sustainability Advisory where I work. And let's keep the conversation going.